Well, good morning, all nations. Uh, it's great that you're tuning in once again. Uh, on behalf of the pastoral staff, uh, I just want to say that we miss you all, and we can't wait until we can gather together uh, physically uh, at our church. Uh, there's something truly special about being able to visibly see uh, one another and, and, and to be in the same space to center ourselves in the gospel. Uh, and I can't wait uh, until that time comes once again. Uh, but until then, I, I hope that we can be a, a good neighbor and, and stay within our home as, um, as we're trying to f- figure out how to uh, stop this virus from spreading. Um, you know, the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been on this theme of steadfastness, uh, how to have a life that is steadfast. And I think this is such an appropriate uh, theme to be going through. Uh, this word it means uh, to be unwavering. Uh, to be grounded and, and firm. Um, you know, this virus has exposed us in such a profound way. Uh, even with all our technology, uh, innovation, ideas, and resources, we're faced with the reality that uh, we are still but helpless and vulnerable creatures. Uh, there are things that we can outrun and outsmart. Uh, and so we're placed in this uh, awkward situation uh, of confusion and chaos. Uh, face with our mortality. Uh, you know, I'm confident that over a period of time, we'll actually get through this. Uh, as a church, we're going to grow from it. As a nation, we're going to improve upon systems and way to combat uh, similar viruses. Uh, but the haunting question that we have to ask is for how long? Until the next coronavirus or the next earthquake or the next fire or even possibly a recession? Uh, we can improve in so many ways, but yet there are so many things that are not, that are not in our control. Um, so how do we have and how can we have a steadfast life when living in such an unstable world? While everything around us is constantly shifting and seemingly falling apart, how can we remain firm? You know, Jesus taught on this very topic, and uh, I want to look at uh, one of his very first sermons that he ever gave, uh, in the close of his sermon, he talks about this idea of standing firm and grounded. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, and we'll read verses 24 through 27. Once again, that's Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Let's give our full attention as I read God's holy word for us. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is God's word. Amen. So this is, his, uh, this is Jesus' first sermon that he ever gave, and it's the close of his sermon. Uh, very short and sweet, uh, unlike uh, some of us pastors who draw out the ending. Um, but this is the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon was addressed and given to his disciples. And that is something that's very important to remember 
um, the audience because when we know who Jesus is speaking to, then it helps us better understand what he's saying and how we can apply these truths in our lives. In it, he is teaching and instructing his followers of how to live as someone who belongs to the kingdom of God. Not how to get into his kingdom, but he's describing the model citizen of God's kingdom. And so Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is for believers, is for the church. And in this sermon, he covers a range of topics, forgiveness, anger, anxiety, fasting, prayer, to name a few. Here's how a Christian should treat his enemy or her enemy. This is how a Christian should forgive. Here's how a Christian should pray. And the main idea being that a Christian should be different than its surrounding world. And so this is a sermon that we need to frequently revisit and devote ourselves to. Because according to Jesus, our ability to withstand the storms and to have a steadfast life depends on our commitment to following his teachings. And near the end of the sermon, Jesus starts to draw some very strong lines. There are only two ways that we can respond to Jesus. We either accept his teachings or we reject them. There is no middle way. There is no third way. We can't straddle uh, this life. A life with Jesus, having one foot with the life of Jesus and having another foot in the world. That is not a possibility that Jesus offers. Either you are a true believer of Christ or you are a false believer. And what determines genuine faith is how one responds to the teachings of Christ. And he illustrates this truth by telling the story of these two builders. First, I want to look at their similarities. Secondly, their difference. And lastly, I want to close with some application points. See, on the surface, these two builders have quite a few uh, things in common. Uh, They share the same aspirations. Uh, They want uh, to build a house. Uh, They both have the resources and raw raw materials to build a house. They also share a common space to build. And we'll discover that they are subject to the same inclement weather of uh, of the winds and the rain. And lastly, they both complete their building project. Who do these two builders represent? They represent the variety of people that are listening to Jesus on the mountain. Yes, Jesus is addressing his disciples, but we'll later discover that there are others there listening in to this teaching. And as Jesus' ministry and popularity grew, there were all sorts of people that wanted to check out his ministry. Right? Another group that is identified in the Gospels is, is labeled the crowd. Right? And another group that we see always with Jesus were his opponents, the Pharisees and the scribes. And at times, it will be difficult to distinguish amongst the crowd who is a true follower of Jesus and who is a counterfeit. And there are, these, these people gathered for all sorts of reasons. Some wanted to catch a glimpse of his next miracle. Uh, others wanted to get a free meal. And, and a lot of people were fascinated with his teachings. They would say things like, we've never heard things like these. And so on the surface, many gave off the impression of being a disciple of Christ. 
when in reality they were just posing to be one. You know, right before this passage that I just read, Jesus gave another strong warning. Not all who say the right things or even do the right religious things will enter God's kingdom. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, we may be able to fool others with our appearances, but we cannot fool God. Jesus isn't interested in our external appearances, but rather he's interested in our internal affections for him. We can participate in religion, go through the motions, look and speak the part, but not have genuine faith. The question I want us to consider is why do you participate and practice religion? Why do you come to church? Give your money, time, and resources. See, when I was a kid, I I went to church because my parents went to church. And as I grew up, um, I I thought that religion would make me a better person and, and actually offer me a better life. Things would go smoother for me. And sometimes I would practice religion to get rid of my guilt, uh, this, this sense of shame that I felt for my wrongdoings. I think some of you guys may be able to relate uh, with me on some of those points. Uh, many of us, we pursue religion for self-serving purposes. What can I get out of it? I hope the church will fix my kids, uh, make my marriage better, maybe help me find a wife or get me that promotion that I want. Instead of, instead of religion being about God, who is our creator, and knowing him and worshiping him, religion ultimately becomes an ends to my mean of what I want. So we all participate. I mean, you guys are tuning in and, and worshiping with us. So we, we participate in religion. And it, on the surface, it seems like there are, that we're all here for the same reason. But the substance of our faith will quickly be exposed in time and especially when we encounter the storms of life. Oftentimes the strength and authenticity of our faith will be exposed when it actually doesn't produce our desired outcomes. See, both builders hear Jesus' words. They are in possession of the gospel message. And so they actually have access to the same foundation necessary to build a sturdy house. But their houses can't be more different. They share a lot in common, but there's one significant difference, and it's their foundation. Although Palestine was a very dry place, they would have rainy seasons. Builders would have to consider uh, the rainfall and the floods that would flow down from the mountain. And consider the winds as they were building the house. See, storms don't discriminate between the foolish and the wise, the religious or the irreligious. We are all subject to them. And we are in the midst of one right now. The Christian faith doesn't make us immune to suffering and affliction. However, the Christian faith is a gift meant to ground us and make us steadfast in order to endure these storms. 
See, the difference in these two builders was found underneath the house. The foolish builder essentially had no foundation because he built his house on the sand. The storm did its work and quickly destroyed it. And in Luke's version of the same story that Jesus told, the wise builder dug deep and he found a bedrock before starting his building project. The storm equally hid his house, but it remained standing. See, the quality of the house isn't found in the material used to build it, rather in the foundation it was built upon. So which one are you? Are you a foolish builder building on sand, or are you a wise builder building on rock? See, the point of this illustration is not for us to wait and find out. Because by the time that the storm comes, it's too late. And storms come in all different shapes and forms. It can be trials, temptations, relational conflict, persecution, and suffering. How can we withstand all these things? How can I be a wise builder? And the answer is easily found in verse 24, the very first verse of our passage. Again, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, the foolish builder hears Jesus but does nothing about it. The wise builder hears Jesus and he takes action. The foundation is Jesus' word. Both builders had access to it. One ignores it while the other builds upon it. Active obedience to Jesus is how we build our houses on the rock. The key word is active. The Christian faith doesn't call us to simply confess the right truths, but also to live them out and to practice them. Although obedience cannot get us into God's kingdom, it is evidence of our kingdom citizenship because our lives should reflect the truth that Jesus is king. So a steadfast life is a life obedient to Christ. So let me ask you once again, are you building your life on sand or are you building your life upon the rock? Are you able to withstand the storms that come your way? Or are you constantly being tossed back and forth because of it? Please listen carefully. The strength of your faith is found in the object of it. If your faith is found in finite, unstable, and temporal objects, your faith too will share in its qualities. Money, success your grades, relationship, your kids. These are fleeting treasures. They are treasures nonetheless, but they are temporary, unstable, unable to offer you lasting peace and joy. However, if your faith is placed in an infinite, eternal, and everlasting God, your faith will be secure. What is the object of your faith? Is it God himself, or is it in the things that you think God can give you? You know, I've never purchased a house. Hopefully one day I will. But I know a lot of friends that have have purchased uh, homes recently. And what often happens is they hire a a person, uh, an appraiser, 
who goes in and inspects the house to see if there are any damages uh, to basically value that house. If Jesus were to appraise your house and my house, what would he discover? What would he find when he goes underneath and looks at the foundation? See, the Christian faith uh, today somehow has mutated in this, to this easy believism. Right? You recite a prayer, right? you receive a ticket to heaven, and that's about it. Faith isn't simply a mental ascent. It's about putting into action what you believe about Jesus. Our actions matter. Obedience matters. And at this point, some of your gospel raiders might be going off. Uh, It sounds a little legalistic. It sounds like you're asking us to perform. And simply put, I am. God's word is calling us. To, ask, uh, to act and to obey. But we have to remember that the disciples have already been received by Jesus in the giving of this sermon. They did not earn a place. Jesus graciously invited them to be his disciples. But now, as kingdom people, they are called to live in obedience to respond to this new identity that is a gift for them. The Christian is saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. We've done nothing to earn a place in God's kingdom. But there are clear evidences of this grace in a person's life that indicates that citizenship. And obedience is one of those attributes. Church, I believe that this is a time for closer self-examination. See, many of us who became Christians to simply avoid hell. We uttered a prayer and received Jesus as our Savior, but honestly, nothing has changed in our lives. Our faith is shallow. Our foundation is weak. We are, we are being moved constantly by, the, by our culture's values. And when storms of life hit us, we easily cave in and fall apart and we compromise and there's no substance to our relationship with God see the chief end of man is not to escape hell the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him as our father see COVID-19 may have exposed your foundation but better now than never because there is going to be a final storm coming and that is God's judgment this will happen either when we die or when Jesus comes back and by then it is definitely too late the question that we need to ask is will you remain standing or will you fall and so I share this with with sincerity and love we only get one lifetime to respond to the gospel message And so for those who are watching uh, this or hearing this message, who have yet to receive the gift of salvation, Jesus is offering himself to you. He came down from heaven. He took on flesh and he died for your sins and my sins. And he rose again so that you can build your life on his words and, and, and in the finished work that he has done for you and me. 
The call for you is to turn from your sins and to trust in Jesus as your Savior. And if you want to make that commitment, you can reach out to us by going to our website and contacting us that way, and we'll love to follow up with you. But for my Christian brothers and sisters, it takes a storm to reveal our foundation. One thing that COVID-19 has taught us is that there is no security to be found in this life and on this earth. There are no guarantees or certainties. However, the Christian is in possession of a hope that is sure and a promise that is waiting to be fulfilled. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He is alive. The tomb is empty. He is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf and my behalf. And he promises that he will come back for us. And this is something that we need to grip tightly too. But as we wait in eager anticipation, we aren't to be idle. Jesus calls us to build our lives upon his word. We are called to obey Christ. He's given us God's will. He has shown us God's will. And building our lives upon his word will not put us to shame, but will keep us standing no matter what storms may come. You know, to close, I, I want to show you a, a picture of something I'm very proud of. Uh, it's a gift my dad gave to my son, uh, Deacon. Uh, it was meant for 90-year-olds to build, but uh, Deacon 7, which means I had to build it. Um, I wish I had the instruction booklet to show you. It was, it was literally hundreds of pages. and It took me hours and hours of, of work uh, to build this thing. Uh, and I want to say about for the 70% uh, of the work that I put in, it was boring. Um, it didn't look like anything uh, of what was on the picture. Uh, because most of the building is actually uh, the foundation uh, to, to be able to build, build in the other nice parts to it. And so it took me hours and, and I was just bored and my son didn't know what it looked like because it was just a, a, a block of Lego pieces that you had to put together. Uh, but after uh, several hours, you start to see uh, it come together. You start to see it resemble uh, what was on that box. See, foundation building is, is difficult because uh, at first you might not know what the purpose of it is what it means, or what, what part it plays in our lives. Right? It's not exciting or fun. And a lot of times, no one can see the foundation building. No one knows what you're doing because it's underneath. But what happens over time as you're building and working on that foundation, you start to see the reason and purpose behind it. You discover that God's word and, and Jesus' words are good, and they are for our freedom and our joy. Remember, Jesus does not uh, command us to obey him because he needs our affirmation. He does it for your good and my good. And so the invitation for us is to start doing foundational work. Start building upon the rock, which means read God's word. Meditate on it. Try and actually practice it. If you can this week, I, I want to challenge us to read Matthew 5, verses 7. Ask God to help you understand it, but ask God to also give you the boldness to obey it. 
And the reason why we can do this is because God has removed the greatest obstacle to our obedience, and that is fear. Fear. He has accepted us by his grace. By faith, we are adopted into his family, meaning that we have the safety of his love that is secure. And so we can try. Try, try, and try again. And yes, we will fail. But then he will catch us. See, the disciples were a bunch of screw-ups. They weren't able to, to faithfully live out the Sermon on the Mount. But they tried. But the great thing was that they had a good Savior who never left them nor abandoned them. So it's never too late to do foundation work. Let's build our lives upon the rock that is Jesus Christ so that our lives can be steadfast and so we can withstand the storm. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for your wise words and for the story of these two builders. God, we confess that these are some trying times and a lot of us were confused, uh, we're frustrated, and our foundation is shaking. Lord, help us to see uh, that the object that we some of the objects that we put our faith in, are, are they're weak, they're feeble. Uh, they, they cannot hold us. And as you're exposing that, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will show us the beauty of the rock that is Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to understand. Help us to, to look in your word and understand it and to actually obey it. We need your help. And God, even at times when we fail to obey, Assure us of your love once again so that we can try again. God, we thank you for your amazing word. You give, you give it to us for our joy and for our pleasure. Help us to see you for who you are as a loving father during these times. Give us strength and may our church always be built upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.